does the name John Benet Ramsey ring a bell? A beautiful six-year-old little girl of wealthy parents was brutally murdered the day after Christmas in 1996 in the basement of her family's home. Her murder remains unsolved today. What happened that night? Why did the killer take the time to write a two-and-a-half-page ransom note inside the house? Does the house itself hold any clues? Welcome to Nightmare Houses. Nellie Graham was born on June 19, 1877 in Lincoln, Illinois. We don't know much about her or her early history, but by 1911, she was married to Henry Howard, who was originally from Wisconsin. Howard was 15 years older than Nellie. She was 34 by the time they had their first and only child, Edward Graham Howard. Henry Howard was an auditor, and the couple lived in Peoria, Illinois. Sometime between 1911 and 1919, he died. She was left with quite a bit of money after her husband's death and appeared to have spent quite a lot. In 1919, Nellie and her family, her son Edward, her older sister Catherine, also a widow, and the family cook, Della, moved to Boulder, Colorado. She purchased lots 25 and 26 on 15th Street from Aura B. Parish in the University Park Development in Boulder in September 1919. Over the next 10 years, Nellie would purchase additional lots 35, 36, 37, and 38 in the University Park neighborhood. University Park in Boulder, Colorado was a residential development conceived in 1890. It's a grid-like development less than a mile from the University of Colorado Boulder's campus. A Tudor-style home was built on lots 36 through 38 in 1926. The Tudor architectural style was popular in America roughly between the 1890s and 1940s. The house is a brick veneer with a dominant steep timber-framed overlapping gable roof and a half-timbered roofline pattern in the gable story with stucco infill. Nellie and her family moved into the newly constructed home and lived there for the next several years. She appears to have rented out rooms and residence to university students, U.S. service members, teachers, and others throughout the 1930s. In 1936, Nellie and her son Edward moved to Los Angeles, California. She continued to own the house in Boulder, likely renting it or having her sister maintain the residence, and she purchased a new home in Los Angeles. Nellie died in December 1941 in her new home and willed the residence in Boulder to her only son. By late 1944, Edward sold the residence and took the proceeds, continuing to live in Los Angeles. Over the next few decades, the residence would change hands several times, with nothing notable or significant happening there. Each family that moved in and out over the next few decades would add their own personal touches and upgrades to the property. Being close to the university, it's one of the nicest neighborhoods and was considered very safe and a desirable place to raise a family. By November 1991, the 1920s Tudor had undergone several renovations and extensions. When John and Patsy Ramsey purchased it, the home was over 7,000 square feet. John Bennett Ramsey was born in Lincoln, Nebraska. In 1966, he graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. 
He earned a master's degree in business administration from the same university in 1971. He joined the Navy in 1966, served as a civil engineer corps officer in the Philippines for about three years, and in an Atlanta reserve unit for an additional eight years. He had three children from his first marriage to Lucinda Lou Pash, which lasted from 1966 to 1978 and ended in divorce. Their oldest daughter, Elizabeth Beth Ramsey, died tragically in a car accident in January 1992. She was 22 at the time. Patricia Ann Patsy Powell Ramsey was born in December 29, 1956 in Parkersburg, West Virginia. She graduated from Parkersburg High School in 1975, attended West Virginia University, and graduated with a bachelor's in journalism in 1978. She won the Miss West Virginia Beauty Pageant title in 1977. Her sister won the Miss West Virginia Pageant title at age 24 in 1980. Patsy was 23 when she married the 36-year-old businessman John Ramsey on November 5, 1980. The couple was living in Atlanta when their children were born. Son Burke was born on January 27, 1987, and daughter John Benet was born on August 6, 1990. In 1989, John Ramsey formed the Advanced Product Group, one of three merged companies that became Access Graphics. He became president and chief executive officer of Access Graphics, a computer service company, and a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin. The family moved to Boulder, Colorado in 1991 for John's business, essentially making this the only home John Binet ever knew. John and Patsy were prominent members of the Boulder community. In 1995, John was named Entrepreneur of the Year by the Boulder Chamber of Commerce. Patsy Ramsey was honored for volunteering at her children's elementary school, even when chemotherapy to treat ovarian cancer left her nearly bald. In 1996, Access Graphics grossed over $1 billion, and John continued to receive honors and awards in the local community. John Ramsey was quite successful and had a net worth of over $6 million at the time. Things seemed to be going very well for the Ramseys, and they could afford a very comfortable lifestyle. Everything seemed perfect. From when their daughter was young, Patsy entered her in children's beauty contests, and John Binet won some titles. Pageantry and beauty contests were a part of John Binet's life, but it wasn't all of it. Despite the photos and the stereotype of Patsy being a pageant mom, John Binet was a typical six-year-old. But not all was quite as it seemed. Patsy was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 1995 at the age of 34. John Binet had problems with bedwetting, and Burke had at least one documented violent outburst when he hit his little sister with a golf club a year earlier. Despite the wealth and success, they were a normal family, dealing with everyday struggles, health issues, and general life challenges. Their Tudor home was a perfect example of how everything looked picture-perfect on the outside. Perfectly decorated for each holiday, a well-landscaped yard, but inside, the house was quite cluttered and a little messy. The house was filled with things. Even though the family had a housekeeper, the place still looked disorganized. At 10 p.m. on Christmas Day, 1996, the family returned home from the White family's Christmas party. According to her parents, John Binet had fallen asleep in the car and was put to bed right away. 
The family was due to fly out early the following morning to the family's second home in Michigan. Patsy Ramsey awoke early that morning, went down the spiral staircase that leads from the master bedroom near the kitchen, and found on one of the bottom steps a bizarre two-and-a-half-page ransom note. It read, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We do respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow morning to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authority, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is all up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. After looking in her daughter's bedroom and discovering her missing, Patsy called 911. The ransom note contained specific instructions against contacting police and friends, but Patsy telephoned the police at 5.52 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. She also called family and friends. The note had a few spelling and grammatical errors, but the author was someone with an education. Okay, I'm sending an officer over, okay? Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. 
Two police officers responded to the 911 call and arrived at the Ramsey house within three minutes. They conducted a cursory search of the house, but didn't find any sign of forced entry. Officer Rick French went to the basement and came to a door secured by a wooden latch. He paused in front of the door, but walked away without opening it, as he was looking for a possible entrance for the kidnapper. That morning, John made arrangements to pay the ransom. A forensics team was also dispatched to the house. The team initially believed that the child had been kidnapped, and John Binet's bedroom was the only room in the house that was cordoned off to prevent contamination of evidence. The police did not take any precautions to prevent contamination of evidence in the rest of the house. Meanwhile, friends, victim advocates, and the Ramsey family minister arrived at the home to show support. Visitors picked up and cleaned surfaces in the kitchen, likely destroying evidence. Boulder Detective Linda Arndt arrived at about 8 a.m. in anticipation of receiving further instructions from the kidnapper, but there was never any attempt by anyone to claim the money. At 1 p.m., Detective Arndt asked John Ramsey and Fleet White, a family friend, to search the house to see if anything seems amiss. They started their search in the basement. John opened the latch door that Officer French had overlooked and found his daughter's body in one of the rooms. John Binet's mouth was covered with duct tape, a nylon cord was found around her wrists and neck, and a white blanket also covered her torso. John picked up the child's body and took it upstairs to the first floor around 2 p.m. that afternoon. When John Binet was moved, the crime scene was further contaminated and critical forensic evidence was disturbed for the returning forensics team. Each Ramsey provided handwriting, blood, and hair samples to the police. In addition, John and Patsy participated in a preliminary interview for more than two hours, and Burke was also interviewed within the first couple of weeks following John Binet's death. The autopsy revealed that John Binet had been killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. Her official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. There was no evidence of conventional rape, although sexual assault could not be ruled out. Although no semen was found, there was evidence of a vaginal injury. At the time of the autopsy, it appeared her vaginal area had been wiped clean with a cloth. Her death was ruled a homicide. A garrote made of a length of nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush was tied around John Binet's neck, strangling her. 
part of the bristle end of the paintbrush was found in a tub containing Patsy's art supplies, but the bottom third of it was never found despite extensive searching of the house by police in subsequent days. The autopsy also revealed a vegetable or fruit material which may represent pineapple, which John Binet had eaten a few hours before her death. Photographs of the home taken on a day when John Binet's body was found show a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table with a spoon in it. Neither John nor Patsy recall putting the bowl on the table or feeding pineapple to John Binet. Police reported that they found John Binet's nine-year-old brother, Burke Ramsey's fingerprints, on the bowl. The Ramseys stated that Burke slept through the entire night until he was awakened several hours after the police arrived. Because it was Christmas, many holiday decorations adorned the inside and outside of the home. Regarding the John Binet Ramsey case, the timeline is critical in shedding light. The night before, on Christmas Day, the Ramseys attended a party at the White's house, the same Fleet White that helped find John Binet. The Ramseys arrived home around 10 p.m. that evening, stating John Binet was asleep in the car and was carried up to bed that night. Based on experts on the case, the timeline that makes the most sense is as follows. The pineapple substance found in her stomach must have been eaten between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. on December 25th based on the digestion process. The blow to the head was estimated to have been sometime between 11 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. with the possible sexual assault with the paintbrush having been occurred between 12 and 1 a.m. on December 26th with the estimated time of her strangulation being around 1 a.m. This timeline is based largely on the autopsy results, and all times are estimated. What appears to be the most telling is that something must have happened around 11 p.m. that evening. Regarding the case, there are two theories. Either an intruder did it, or a family member, someone from inside the house. A bowl of pineapple was likely what John Bidnay consumed, but Patsy denied knowledge of the snack. Police also found a large, heavy flashlight captured in crime scene photos. There was little evidence supporting a kidnapping, and the evidence supporting one was bizarre. The ransom note was written in the house on Ramsey's stationery near the stairs and was over two pages long. This note would have taken up to 20 minutes to write, which is a long time in a house where a crime is actively occurring. The letter is also rambling, yet gave John specific instructions, which Patsy broke immediately by calling the police. What happened in the house that night and early morning between 10 p.m. and just before 6 a.m.? Again, based on the autopsy results, John Binet was likely struck over the head with a heavy object around 11 p.m. The blow to the head was hard enough to fracture her skull, but it didn't kill her. Was this caused by the nearby heavy flashlight? The skull fracture appears to have been caused by a large, blunt object that was either cylindrical or rectangular shaped. At first glance, this appears to have been from an intruder in a kidnapping gone wrong, resulting in the little girl's death. On the night John Binet was killed, two windows were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through. There was also a broken basement window and one unlocked door. John later told the police that he broke the window himself once when he was locked out of the house. Did someone enter the home through the broken basement window? 
A suitcase was found on the floor almost directly underneath this window. Was the suitcase used to step into the house? The house was big enough that perhaps if the entire incident happened in the basement, it wouldn't be heard by anyone on the second floor. However, critics have questioned this method used to break into the basement because of an intact cobweb in the basement window. The steel grate covering the window also had undisturbed cobwebs, and the foliage around the grate had also been undisturbed. There were also cobwebs in the tracks of various windows and dust and debris still on some of the sills. This suitcase belonged to John's older son, who was in college then. He came home occasionally, and it would make sense that he would store extra luggage in the basement of his father's home, but there was no supporting evidence that the suitcase had been used recently. Since being built in the 1920s, several additions and extensions were made to the property, resulting in small rooms that gave the place a maze-like feel. The property itself is located in a grid-like community in the middle of the block, where the houses are all somewhat close to one another. There is a gate in the front of the house, and an alleyway behind the property for vehicles to enter and exit. If the killer drove in, someone may have noticed, especially that late on Christmas Day. The killer would also have had to know their way around the house in the dark so as not to alert other members of the family, not make sounds, take the time to write the note, and take nearly two hours killing and possibly assaulting the little girl. The murder happened in the basement, but the note was written on the first floor, so the intruder would have had to climb at least one flight of steps. Does that mean John Benet went downstairs to the basement after her parents fell asleep? Or did the intruder also climb up to the second floor to take her? After being struck on the head, it appears she was molested by a paintbrush handle taken from Patsy's nearby art section, explaining the injury to her vaginal area. The blow to the head likely knocked her unconscious, possibly making the killer think she was dead. But again, based on those autopsy results, John Benet wasn't killed right away. She may have started agonal breathing, the medical term for people gasping when they struggle to breathe because of cardiac arrest or from another serious medical emergency injury. The sound may have startled her killer, and thus they felt the need to finish her off. It could explain why nearby materials were used to fashion a garrote. They thought she was already dead, but not quite. Strangulation is John Benet's official cause of death. It occurred within an hour of being struck over the head. Using a garrote seems like an overly complicated way to kill someone. It's a fancy strangulation device and was likely time-consuming to make. There's also evidence someone moved her body after she was struck on the head. If one was to conduct a kidnapping, attempt to collect a ransom, and escape the house without getting caught, they might want to hurry up, not take their time. Each key piece of evidence supports the killer took their time and was in the house for at least two hours. John Binet was buried in Atlanta, Georgia on December 31, 1996, next to her half-sister Beth. Immediately following the murder, John was temporarily replaced, so the company did not have to bother him about business matters as he grieved, but John returned to his job within weeks. Six months after the murder, the Ramses moved back to Atlanta, Georgia. They hired a company to relocate them and deal with selling the Boulder home. In 2004, Carol Schuller-Milner and her husband Timothy purchased the home. 
they have since attempted to sell the home several times over the past few years with no luck. The first time was for $2.6 million in 2008. The listing was removed six months later. They listed it again for sale for $2.2 million in 2009, had a price reduction in 2010, and then removed the sale a month later. They listed it again for $2.3 million in 2011, but removed the listing in April 2012. In July 2012, they listed it for sale for $2.4 million, but removed the listing by December of that year. Finally, it was listed in March 2013 for $2.3 million. The price dropped on the property twice, in May and again in August, and then removed from the market in October, relisted in November, and removed again in July 2014. It never sold, at least not for the price they wanted. The property has undergone further extensions and stands over 11,000 square feet now. The wings on the exterior are noticeable since they're in a different architectural style from the original Tudor. The couple still owns the home, and it remains a private residence. There are a lot of facts, evidence, and theory surrounding the John Benet Ramsey case. In 1999, a grand jury indicted John and Patsy Ramsey on two counts each of child abuse, but the prosecutor declined to sign the indictment against the couple. These indictments would not be revealed until 2013 by unsealed court documents. They tell the following. Count four of the indictment said that Ramsey did unlawfully knowingly recklessly and feloniously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation which posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of Jean Benet Ramsey, a child under the age of 16. Count 7 of the indictment said the Ramseys did unlawfully, knowingly, and feloniously render assistance to a person with intent to hinder, delay, and prevent discovery detention, apprehension, prosecution, conviction, and punishment of such person for the commission of a crime, knowing the person being assisted has committed and was suspected of the crime of murder in the first degree and the child abuse resulting in death. The wording of this indictment is very bizarre and indicate that John Binet's death was ultimately her parents' fault. Despite this, her parents maintained their innocence and offered a $100,000 reward to find her killer. The oldest child's name is noticeably left out a lot in this case. John and Patsy Ramsey claimed he was asleep the whole time. Patsy Ramsey died of ovarian cancer in June 2006 at age 46. John has since remarried, but now has a hard time gaining employment due to the notoriety of the case. Burke Ramsey attended Purdue University and studied computer technology. He graduated in 2009. He lives a quiet life in Michigan and is employed as a software engineer. Starting in 1999, Ramsey libel attorney Lyd Wood filed defamation lawsuits against several people and media companies that had reported on the case. A defamation suit was filed in 2001 against the authors and publisher of John Binet inside the Ramsey murder investigation. The lawsuit was settled out of court the following year. John and Patsy Ramsey were sued in two defamation lawsuits arising from the publishing of their book, The Death of Innocence. 
Linwood and three other Atlanta attorneys defended the Ramseys in those lawsuits. They obtained the dismissal of both lawsuits. In November 2006, Rod Westmoreland, a friend of John Ramsey's, filed a defamation suit against an anonymous web surfer who had posted two messages on an internet forum using the pseudonym Under the Radar, implicating Westmoreland in the murder. During a September 2016 interview with CBS Detroit and the Case of John Benet Ramsey documentary television program, a forensic pathologist accused Burke Ramsey of killing his sister. On October 6, 2016, Burke filed a defamation suit against that pathologist. Burke and his attorneys, who include Linwood, sought a total of $150 million in punitive and compensatory damages. On December 28, 2016, Burke's lawyers filed an additional civil lawsuit that accused CBS, the production company Critical Content LLC, and seven experts and consultants of defamation of character. They sought $250 million in compensatory damages and $500 million in punitive damages. In January 2018, a judge denied the CBS motion to dismiss, and the suit was allowed to proceed. In January 2019, Wood announced that the lawsuit had been settled, quote-unquote, to the satisfaction of all parties. This case remains unsolved today and we will likely never know the truth of what happened. It was a media sensation after the initial reports of John Bonet's death and until today, where claims are still being made that someone knows something. There is a lot of speculation about what happened that night and who is ultimately responsible for the death of a sweet little girl. The 1920s Tudor home will keep the secret of what happened just after Christmas in 1996 to John Benet Ramsey forever. It's easy to imagine the spirit of a little girl trapped in the basement of that Tudor, likely never knowing what happened to her. Police made too many errors. There were too many critical pieces of evidence lost and too many people involved. Moreover, the case was so famous that too many false reports, claims, and confessions were made over the years. If the Ramses knew anything or covered it up, they only brought more harm upon themselves and their daughter. Patsy Ramsey died in 2006, and all we know is that she's back with her precious baby girl. Whether the killer will face justice or not remains to be seen, and only time will tell. This person or persons knows what happened that night in the basement of that house. They have to live with that every day. Patsy took any secrets about that night with her to the grave. Now only two other members from the house that night remain. We know that an innocent little girl died far beyond her time. When it comes to the John Benet Ramsey murder, the biggest questions. Did the monster come from inside or outside the house that night. Thank you for listening to Nightmare Houses. For more information, including photos and references, please visit www.nightmarehouses.com. Until next time, goodbye.